Hi, it's Rob Moore here, author of the book Money and host of the podcast Money and host of the show More Money Secrets. So I've got my producer Harry here. He's got a load of content that I haven't seen. This will be the first time I've seen it for me to react to. If you'd like to make, manage and multiply more money, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel and turn the notification bell on. Oh, oh Harry, the beef between Robert Kiyosaki and Grant Cardone. And I have gone, gone head to head with each other. I don't put much worth in his words. And you can buy apartment houses, but you don't have to buy an apartment house. The reason he says that is because he wants to sell you an apartment house. You know, they make some... Grant's my friend. I love Grant. Sometimes I do think the same thing, though, that the reason um, he's telling you about buying apartments is because he's selling a lot of them. Sorry. Uh, you know, with apartments, there's ground rent, there's service charge. Um, certainly where I'm from, UK is different to US, but where I'm from, um, you, you want to own the ground. You don't want to rent the ground. And when you own a house, you own the ground. When you own an apartment, you lease the ground. So I like owning the land as well as the property. So I have to say that's one nil to Robert. So have you ever done a deal where you've not got a freeholder? Yeah, we've done leasehold deals in the early days and you're not in control of the lease. So the leaseholder can just up the rent just like if you're a tenant, your landlord can up the rent. Yeah, and um, they can put margin on the ground rent, the lease. Leases are valuable. Um, I've sold leases before. Uh, we did a 99 apartment block and actually sold the lease because I think we sold it at 10 times. Did we sell it at 10 or 12 times income? We sold it a lot. Um, so it has good capital value, but ideally you want to own the ground. I, I, ideally you want to own the land, own the ground. So you normally always say buy, hold, die. So in that situation, what made you sell it then? Um, yes, good. All right, you smart ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so my favorite holding strategy is forever. And yeah, my strategy for Building vast and lasting wealth is buy, hold, die. Yes, it is. But when you've seen enough cycles, you might feel like prices are really high, therefore you'll cash out. So depending on the company and depending on the um, market, my training businesses, Progressive Property, Progressive Success, could sell anywhere between four and 12 times profit. I don't know why I look like I've got constipation. <laughs> um, the reason I'm, it's so, there's so many separate factors in the value of something. But for example, Patek Philippe. I've paid 25 grand for Pateks that were new 35 grand and I've seen them go up to 150 grand and I've seen them then come back down to 100 grand. So it's wise to have rules, but 
it's also wise to change your strategy if things change. So if in a bad market I can get four times profit for my company, but in a good market I can get 10, just like multipliers on um, selling assets, why would you not cash out? I mean, if you think about it, also a good strategy for... If you think about it, also a good strategy for building wealth is buy low, sell high. Yeah. To buy a house, but if they stop working, that house starts taking money from the apartment. There's nothing to do with apartment houses. He got that idea from me, I know that. He's trying to sell you an apartment house. I don't recommend it. He's a smart boy, he's a good salesman. He sells apartment houses. He wants yeah. to put you in his deals. To me, that's kind of a promotion, if you know what I mean. Well... Whilst I agree with Robert Kiyosaki in the, he Grant is a great salesman, he's one of the best. And the way he promotes what he says you should do, of course it's going to benefit him. But Robert Kiyosaki probably wants to sell his books, get paid his keynote speeches. I think it's wise when taking advice from anyone to know their context. You know, what's behind what they're saying. Um, I enjoyed the beef between Robert and Grant. Um, they've both made good money and they're both undeniably successful. I enjoyed the head-to-head -head between Robert and Grant. They've both done very well. I do feel if you had a gun to my head and I had to pick which one strategy I would follow, it would be Robert Kiyosaki. Because I feel that continually using other people's money to buy big apartment blocks is risky. Very risky. Like, I don't know. Like, I heard Grant say that, you know, he might make 1% in a deal. Um, so deals don't have to go down very much for them not to work. And I like to own my real estate. Whereas... If you're pumping other people's money into real estate, you don't own that real estate. I wish you save money when they're printing money. <laughs> or, you had me at hello, Robert. He's absolutely right about this. Why would you trust in holding something that goes down in value? Because you didn't, I don't know. Why? Because the central banks and governments have created the story, the propaganda, that saving is good. That we can trust the currency, the fiat currency, which, by the way, is intangible and created out of debt. It's not real. It's a concept, it's a story. So, it is very wise for you to take responsibility to learn how money and the system really works. I'm writing a book on this at the moment called Money Matrix. So, the value of money goes down over time. As prices go up, and there is more supply than demand, value goes down. Now the governments have control over supply, 
and the governments continue to print money. So the more supply of your current asset there is, the more it devalues your own money. And I heard from Patrick Bet David that more money was created post lockdown in quantitative easing or printing than had been created in the history of printing money. I mean, that, that's, if that's not hyperinflation, I don't know what is. But the media are great at covering it up or spinning it. And it's actually a simple formula. Look at the inflation rate that they quote. Add 50% on top for the reality of the things that they hide. M minus off inflation. And that is your plus or minus value of money. So inflation is 10, it's really 15, and if interest is five, the net is 10 that your money is going down in value. So therefore, if inflation is, so therefore, if they say inflation is seven, let's call it 10, you need interest to be 10, just a net zero, the value of your money. So the smart play is to earn your money in fiat currency, because that's how we earn money, which is soft money a soft asset. I don't think money is an asset. People call money an asset. It's not an asset. It's a liability. The banks know it's a liability because they take your money. And do they keep it in the safe? No, they lend it out. So you earn in fiat currency and you immediately invest that into hard asset like gold, real estate, watches, etc. Building a business. Of course. So question that. I questioned all that. Why would I save money when they print money, then they tell you to save money. Do you know why they tell you to save money? I don't know. Because... Before I even see his answer, I can... For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk and he sources the higher end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years and recently we've done a partnership, hence I'm inviting you if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. answer this why did the banks tell you to save money because they want your money and what do they do with your money they earn on your money so people think that the banks are created to look after your retirement and you know your nest egg for the future your pension it's a lie banks are profit making entities and that's okay as long as you know it so of course they're going to say come save your money with us we'll look after it except they won't They'll lend it, they'll invest it, and they'll risk it.
The system of banking, so when you save, so let's say you save one dollar US or one euro or one... He's about to talk about fractional reserve banking here. Um, I mean, look, I'm going to get off my horse for a bit. Let's say, Harry, you were the governor of the Bank of England. And you said to me, hey, Rob, I've got this printer, it prints money. Do you want one for your office? Of course I'd fucking say yes. I'd have a printer over there and any time I wanted to create new money, print it or um, pay off debt, because that's essentially what inflation is. Creating more money devalues your money, but it pays off their debt. Of course, of course I'd take this new money printer. So it's just selfish, human, interest, profit-making, corporate greed. Now, I like to think I'd take this money printer and use it wisely and for the benefit of society and humanity. But I'm not sure the central banks do. The banking system can lend out 10. That's another thing. The fractional reserve banking system allows banks to lend out $10 on your dollar or £10 on your pound. So people don't really understand how this works. I asked an accountant this and he couldn't get it, but I said to this accountant, is cash an asset or a liability to the banks? And he said, well, it's an asset. I said, well, if cash goes down in value, how is it an asset? Is it not a liability? So I said to him, if cash was an asset, wouldn't they hold it? Why would they be in a rush to invest it? So I actually believe the banks see cash as a liability because it goes down in value. They know it goes down in value because they can manipulate it going down in value. And then they immediately lend and invest it out to protect it from going down in value and to appreciate and to turn it from soft money into hard money, which essentially is turning it from a liability into an asset. Like look at where the banks lend and invest their money. Stock market, real estate. So the entire system is called the fractional reserve system. The fractional reserve system is also printing money. And then they tell you to save money. So they, they want you to save money so they can lend out your money 10 times. So your dollar became worthless 10 times over. I hear a lot of Americans, they're always on about building an emergency fund, have a certain amount of cash, but surely you can only have a certain amount of cash and then you need to then aggressively start investing in like what you said, gold and real estate and watches. Um, what's your theory on that? Is there a percentage to how much cash you should only have at one point? What's your, what's your thoughts behind that? Right. Um, the amount of cash you hold depends on interest rates, inflation rates, and your overhead expenses or your liquidity requirements. So I will hold more cash when A, interest rates are high or B, inflation is low. Remember, they're very linked. I will hold more cash if I need higher liquidity. So for example, some of the loans that I have, if we go under the loan to value threshold, they require us to pay that back. So I would hold more liquidity for a loan like that. Also, if I think a crash is coming and I just want to buy up assets, I want cash. But there's 
cash liquidity in terms of how much cash you have and there's cash liquidity in terms of how much cash you can raise, which are different questions. But it's wise to start with one month overhead, get to three month overhead, get to a year overhead. And then essentially what you're doing is moving money into different asset classes that you think you can get the best return on. So when crashes are predicted to happen, from those who know what they're doing and have seen it before and are very smart, they will hold more cash. They might hold more cash because interest rates have gone up. They might hold more cash because they think there's going to be a crash in the market and I'm going to go and buy. Because of this, you have to evolve your strategy. And I don't mind saying when I've changed my mind. It doesn't make what I said wrong. It just means that it's changed. So when interest rates are 0.25% and inflation is 10, I might say cash is trash or cash is not a, an asset. But if interest rates are going up five, six plus percent and inflation is controlled, then cash isn't trash anymore because cash is buying power. So the sweet spot you'd say is a year's worth of expenses and then everything on, you make on top of that, get it straight to assets. Or is a year's, is that even too conservative? I don't know that you can be too conservative because Warren Buffett said the secret to his billions was good genes and compounding. And what he means by that is, even with a relatively small amount of money and a relatively low amount of risk, if you hold long enough, compounding will really kick in. I mean, if you look at his net worth, and maybe you could bring up a, an image of it, it's like 0 to 50, it looks like that, even though it's many millions, and then it just goes because of compounding. So it's probably better to err on the side of caution than it is to err on the side of risk. Because the thing is, with starting and stopping and starting and stopping, you don't really get compounding. That's, that's the downside. And you've also got to consider there's personal cash and there's company cash. So I learned from Bill Gates that a great target was two years of cash in the bank. Now, that is hard to achieve, especially when you're starting out. And most people don't have two weeks in the bank. And so if you don't have two weeks in the bank, you might not even be able to make your payroll. So two weeks is too risky. Two years is very safe. And one of the measures of a healthy company is how many months of cash it holds where it could sustain itself without any sales. Now, when lockdown happened, and our sales went from two million a month to 500 grand a month, almost overnight, we were very glad we'd saved, you know, a good few million. I don't think we were at two years, but we were over a year. But what you can also do is you can halve your overhead so you can turn that one year into two years. Now, personally, if you are less than a month of savings away from running out of money, what if you get, you know, a fine or you just get one big bill, your council tax all rolls up for the year or just you're only one irregular shock away from being back into debt.
So I like that three months gives you a little bit of breathing space. And then when you get to 12 months, you've probably got some financial stability. Maybe not security, but stability. Now, what you can do is you can transfer your cash into a better form of asset. So if cash is going down in value, you put it into the stock market in the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500. It's still liquid because you can get it within three days. So sometimes cash is the best form of liquidity because it's just, there you go, there's the cash, it's instantly liquid. But other times it's not the best form of liquidity if it's going down in value. So I will sometimes move cash into the stock market or sometimes I might sell my stocks and put it into cash. And what you've got to remember is every time you sell your stock, you've got um, fees associated with that. Yeah, and your capital gains tax, which you realise. And I don't like realising any tax. Okay, so I came across this guy. He's a small business owner, and he only keeps £1,000 cash in his bank. He lives quite frugally, and everything he just puts into the stock market, and he's hyper-aggressive in building his portfolio. Well, it depends on your overhead. <laughs> I couldn't live for about seven minutes on a thousand pounds. I mean, coffee's a five quid now. So do I like the concept of having a small amount of money in cash and all or most of my wealth in non-cash? Yeah, I like that. But it has to be liquid. So the thing with the stock market is it is liquid. Real estate is not liquid. So I have a nearly 50 million pound portfolio. Um, if I wanted to realise my share in that, that could take six months, could take nine months, depending on the market. I mean, if the market's falling, it could take nine months to a year, but also you've got to take a 20% haircut to sell it. So that's not liquid. A gold coin, especially one that's um, recognised by the central banks, you can just immediately cash it in the stock market you can immediately cash it in so stock markets usually do better than inflation over time fiat currency always does worse than inflation over time so the stock market protects your money from inflation but what you don't want to do is have a thousand pound in the bank and all your wealth in property because then you're illiquid constantly moving money around and buying assets and trying to counter counteract inflation and buying mm. assets. yeah Game. This, this is the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's the game. Because if you have £10 million, where you put it matters. If you have £10, where you put it doesn't matter. £10 you put in your pocket. But £10 million at 5% or 10% is obviously a huge difference. So, yeah, often. So once you've built enough wealth... In my book, Money Matrix, talk about the four stages. Make, manage, multiply, maintain. It takes different skills and experience making money as it does managing it, as it does maintaining it and multiplying it. So maintenance is things like insurance and liquidity. Multiplying is compounding and reinvesting. Making are skills like sales and marketing. So there are different stages along the journey. I mean, you, 
you know, you can't manage what you don't have and you can't multiply what you don't have. But once you have enough money, and if you want a rule, use my rule of 5%. So my rule of 5% is um, 5% of the capital value of your asset portfolio should be produced in income. That's a sustainable income stream. Sometimes you can get eight, sometimes you get three. So do the maths. If you want net 50 grand a year, you might need to have 100 grand gross. So times that by 5%, what's that, 2 million? You can do the maths. So 1 million at 5% is 50 grand. 2 million is 100 grand. 10 million, 500 grand. That's the maths. That's your target. And then once you get there, the fluctuations in the market between 3 and 8% is huge for you. So where you put it and how you manage it is really important. Would you recommend investing in oil then? Is that something that you personally invest in? Let me just say it again. You know, I, I used to be on CNBC. But I say I don't invest in anything they can print. I don't invest in this, stocks, bonds, ETFs. I'm an entrepreneur. I start gold mines, I start oil wells. I invest in cattle. You know, Waigu cattle. Yeah. You know why? Because every time the cattle that the Waigu bull breeds, I get semen from me cash flow. I trust the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He actually said there, basically, he earns on the semen. I trust the Wagyu cattle more than Joe Biden. That's the final statement there. Yeah, he doesn't invest in anything that can be manipulated by central banks and governments. I think that's really fucking smart. Yeah. I don't invest in anything that can be manipulated by central banks or governments. And I don't rely on central banks or governments for my wealth. So I invest in myself and my knowledge. I invest in good accountants so I can get my tax bill down. I invest in hard commodity assets, things that have utility. Oil has utility. My business partner, he's made a lot of money um, going short or long on oil, <laughs> you, you know, Mark. And, but that's because he reads the FT every day in his pants and, you know, he, he loves learning about the markets. I don't know enough about the stock market or, or I'm not a trader. Buy, hold, die is my strategy. So most of what I buy, I still own. But if the question is, well, what is the question? How exotic would you go on your investments? One of the reasons Bitcoin has done well to date is because it can't be manipulated by the governments and central banks because it can't be reduced in value and the supply can't be manipulated with. So would you deem Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as exotic investments. I mean, they were speculative at first, but 
generally speaking, asset classes that do well from my experience are things that are scarce and there is limited supply. Things that can't be manipulated, i.e. printed and oversupplied. Things that are useful and valuable. If they're useful and valuable and scarce, that's good. So real estate is very useful. You know, a Fabergé egg is not very useful. It might go up in value if it's very scarce. But you can trust in real estate because it has utility as well. You know, it's essentially one of the basic human needs. So I probably wouldn't go... Why? If I was speculating, I might go more exotic. So speculating is me understanding that this is high risk and it could be high reward, but it could go to zero. But I'll make sure that I only invest, because it's a speculation, 5-10% of my net worth in a more exotic asset class. New asset classes that might emerge, they may not have the history for you to be able to buy, hold, die. But you might get that short spike of buy low, sell high. Like, you know, all these cryptos that get launched. Are they a useful, valuable and needed asset that are going to last hundreds of years? Maybe not. But anything you know more than anyone else, you can probably turn into an asset. If you can sell more than anyone else, that's an asset. If you know more about selling than anyone else, that's an asset. If you know more about watches than anyone else, you can pick the best watches. You know, I learned about limited editions and the, you know, the, the main brands. I learned that in some brands, gold doesn't go up as much as steel. You might not have thought that. You know, watches with diamonds on will generally tend to go down in value. You know, you might have predicted that the gold Daytona will go up more than the steel Daytona, but the steel Daytona is a, seems to be a better appreciator. I learned that some, some watch brands consistently and regularly put their prices up. So you learn these things when you know more about that class than other people. So would you be investing in bull semen and wagyu? <laughs> I don't know anything about bull semen and wagyu to be able to say. No. But, I mean, wagyu steak is expensive. I mean, those cows are treated good. A billionaire in debt. You know why? Because I get tax breaks for borrowing money. The more money I borrow, the less tax I pay. So what happens? So let's say, let's say on a commercial building, I buy it for a million dollars, goes up to $10 million. Most guys would sell it. The moment you sell, let's say, a, a basis of one million to a basis of 10, I have a $9 million capital gains. So instead of selling it and flipping it like those flippers do, I don't flip, I don't sell. See, the moment you sell, as you know, as an attorney, you've now executed a, a capital event, a taxable event. So what I do is I, let's say I buy a property for a million, it goes to $10 million, I'll borrow five tax-free. I don't really have much to say on that other than that's exactly what I do. And actually, I probably learned that off Robert Kiyosaki. So he probably is the goat of understanding 
asset classes and how to make the most amount of money and pay the least amount of tax. Like he said, anytime you sell, there's a taxable event. Even when you die, that's made into a taxable event. Whereas when you refinance, you can't tax a loan because it's not profit, it's debt. But as long as you track your built-up capital gain, um, you can essentially use tax-free money. Some people use tax-free money to live on. I don't think that's smart. I think what you do is you use tax-free money to reinvest in assets and you live off the income streams from the assets. So if you've got a property that started at one and went up to 10, and initially you had a loan of, I mean, that's big numbers. It's going to take a long time to do that, but I'm just using his example. You might have been 750 in loan, 250 in deposit. You might refinance up to five, which is still 50% of 10. You pay off the old debt, so you pay off the old mortgage of 750, which inflation has paid down for you anyway. And then you take that and you buy more real estate and you build up your income because the more capital you have, the more income you have. It's a very smart way to circumnavigate tax and circumnavigate inheritance tax. Capital gains tax is when you sell a property, inheritance tax is when you die, the taxable event on your estate. Look, the reason that most people don't know this is because the governments and central banks don't want you to know this. They want to do this to you. They don't want you to know this. They want you to be a consumable. They want to be able to tax everything you do. They need to be able to tax everything you do because of their billions of debt. So that's why you're not going to learn this shit in school. That's why you're going to learn this shit from Robert Kiyosaki and Rob Moore, because they don't want you to know this stuff. But these tax breaks exist because a lot of the legislation is controlled by these billionaires who have the politicians in their pocket. I mean, you hear Donald Trump talks openly about this about how he knows the tax code better than anyone else and how all the rich donors and backers of Hillary um, have made legislation in favour of the rich. It's the way the world works. Learn the rules, then break the rules so you can make the rules. And the people who make the rules make the most amount of money. You can always make the most money in Monopoly if you are the banker. If there's any content or creators that you'd like me to react to. Share them in the comments. Let me know what you enjoyed. Let me know what you want me to talk about more. Discuss, debate, argue. I don't care. I like it all. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So make sure you subscribe to the channel, turn the notification bell on, do what you need to do to get more of this content.